Hello, good morning. Okay, it's a beautiful day, and I want to start by reminding all of us what we're about here. And I'm going to do that by um, reading from Psalm 100. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. He's made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. Okay, so we'll be reading from Nehemiah. Uh, it might be worth fishing out your Bibles if you want to do that. They're good news Bibles that are underneath the pews and I think I remember the page number correctly. Different than what I usually read. It's um, somewhere around, yeah, page 477 if you want to read. We're just going to read the first couple of chapters. This is the account of what Nehemiah, son of Elakiah, had accomplished. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year that Artaxerxes was emperor of Persia, I, Nehemiah, was in Susa, the capital city. Hyanai, one of my brothers, arrived from Judah with a group of other men. I asked them about Jerusalem and about our fellow Jews who had returned from exile in Babylonia. They told me that, that those who had survived and were back in the homeland were in great difficulty and that foreigners who lived nearby looked down on them. They also told me that the walls of Jerusalem were still broken down and that the gates had not been restored since the time that they were burned. I heard all this and I sat down and wept. For several days I mourned and I didn't eat. I prayed to God, Lord, God of heaven, you are great and we stand in fear of you. You faithfully keep your covenant with those who love you and do what you command. Look at me, Lord, and hear my prayer. As I pray day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, I confess that we, the people of Israel, have sinned. My ancestors and I have sinned. We have acted wickedly against you and we have not done what you commanded. We have not kept those laws which you gave us through Moses, your servant. Remember now what you told Moses. If you, people of Israel, are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the other nations. But then, if you turn back to me and do what I have commanded you, I'll bring you back to the place where I have chosen to be worshipped, even though you are scattered to the ends of the earth. Lord, these are your servants, your own people. You rescued them by your great power and strength. Listen now to my prayer and to the prayers of your other servants who want to honour you. Give me success today and make the emperor merciful to me. In those days I was the emperor's wine steward. One day, four months later, when Emperor Artaxerxes was dining, I took wine to him. He'd never seen me look sad before, so he asked, Why are you looking so sad? You aren't ill, so it must be that you're unhappy. I was startled and I answered, May your majesty live forever. How can I keep looking sad when the city where my ancestors were buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The emperor asked, What is it that you want? I prayed to God in heaven and then I said to the emperor, If your majesty is pleased with me and is willing to grant my request, let me go to the land of Judah, to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild the city. The emperor, with the empress sitting at his side, approved my request. He asked me, How long would I be gone? And when would I return? And I told him. Then I asked him to grant me a favour of giving me letters to the governors of the West Euphrates province, instructing them to let me travel to Judah. 
I asked also for a letter to Asaf, keeper of the royal forest, instructing him to supply me with timber for the, for the gates of the fort that guards the temple, for the city walls, and for the house that I was to live in. The emperor gave me all I asked for, because God was with me. The emperor sent some army officers and a troop of horsemen with me, and I made the journey to the west Euphrates. Then I gave the emperor's letter to the governors, but Sambalat, from the town of Beth Horon, and Tobiah, an official in the province of Amenon, heard that someone had come to work for the good of the people of Israel, and they were highly indignant. I went on to Jerusalem, and for three days I didn't tell anyone what God had inspired me to do for Jerusalem. Then, in the middle of the night, I got up and I went out, taking a few of my companions with me. The only animal we took was a donkey that I rode on. It was still night when I left the city through the valley gate on the west, and went south past Dragon's Fountain to the rubbish gate. As I went, I inspected the broken walls of the city and the gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then, on the east side of the city, I went to the north to the fountain gate and the king's pool. The donkey I was riding couldn't find any path through the rubble. So I went down into the valley of Hidion and rode along, looking at the wall. Then I returned where I had come and went back into the city through the valley gate. None of the local officials knew where I had been or what I had been doing. So far I had not said anything against any of my fellow Jews, the priests, the leaders, the officials or anyone else who would be taking part in the work. But now I said to them, See what trouble we're in because Jerusalem is in ruins and the gates are destroyed. Let's rebuild the city walls and put an end to our disgrace. And I told them how God had been with me and helped me and what the emperor had said to me. They responded, let's start rebuilding. And they got ready to start the work. When Sambalat, Tobiah and an Arab named Geshe heard what we were planning to do, they laughed at us and said, what do you think you're doing? Are you going to rebel against the emperor? I answered, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants, and we are going to start building. But you have no right to any property in Jerusalem, and you have no share in his traditions. Richard. Good morning all. Are we all well? Can everyone hear the level of sound? I'm the one person in Christendom, I was going to say, who the PA system doesn't work for. I think it's the static I produce or something. If you can't hear, wave to me. No, that won't help really, will it? Is it alright? Otherwise I'll go on to the other microphone. Yeah? Okay, that's brilliant. Great, excellent. Well, let's pray for it. Father, thank you for your greatness. Thank you that we're your children. Thank you that whatever we're going through, you're Lord. And it's simply for us to keep our eyes on you and to walk with you in terms of what you're doing. Lord, you graciously come alongside us. But you call us to walk with you. And... We just pray that in our lives we would do that. And we just pray that we'd be open to your word to all of us. In Jesus' name, Amen. At the um, Thursday night prayer meeting we had, uh, to which everyone in the whole church is welcome, alternate Thursday nights, please come, it's a fantastic time. You know, uh, opportunity to pray, pray, share, God speaks graciously. And um, a couple of pictures he gave to us this Thursday, a number, one in particular struck me going on in a sense from the, uh, one of the choruses we had earlier about being moulded. And you mould, don't you? You mould sort of soft, malleable things like clay and um, Play-Doh. Remember those days? Those of us who have gone through that stage. Um, you can't mould solid structures. They sort of have a habit of breaking. So that was that really struck me this morning, and, and on Thursday, one of the images was, was reeds blowing in the wind. And 
it really struck me that, that he calls us in a sense to respond to the flow and wave of the Holy Spirit as it comes that the Holy Spirit acts as, as a wind we have also don't we, the, the picture of a sailing boat you know, tacking across the ocean and the sails and the person sailing it responds to the wind as it goes to go in God the direction it wants to go and we're called to respond to the wind in that way and the encouraging thing is, do you realise that the whole of your Christian life and experience changes here to stay? Because there is, and there will never be a time, I can promise you this, where things in Christ will stay the same. Ever. Because as his children, I mean, even as children growing up in him, we grow up and we change. You know, we were explaining the, the blessing and joy of that first hand of three teenagers in the family. And um, they grow and they change. And are they wonderful kids, all of them? Life's like that. But it's the same in our Christian experience, isn't it? He doesn't call us to stay the same. And one of the greatest challenges to change and to maturity, or challenges to maturity, put it that way, is change. And one thing you can be absolutely sure about, if a time in your lives, Christian lives, ever happens when you're feeling settled, where you're feeling content, when you're feeling all is good with the world, God is in this heaven, the sun is shining, but it hasn't this summer, change is on the way. Why? Because Jesus isn't just gentle Jesus, meek and mild, sitting on a cloud, He's our Father. And He loves us. And He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to stay... Okay, when we're born again, we're little babies. And we have our little bottle. And we have our nappies. But He doesn't want us living out of nappies all our lives. He wants us to grow. Otherwise, we end up as big babies with big nappies. I won't take that any further. <laughs> Let's just hold that, hold that vision there. <laughs> and so it is just the same. It's just the same in life. It's the same in every situation. God wants us to progress. He wants us to move on. So in a sense we start, and rightly so, with seeing Jesus as Lord. Jesus as our brother, as our friend. His promises to us as new Christians are absolute. I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. And that is true forever. But there then comes a stage when we grow and we suddenly realise that he isn't just Jesus, our brother. He happens to be our Lord, our King and our God who commands obedience. And we move from the comfort of a child and family to the progression of children coming up to begin to take responsibility within those families. Remember at the time these things were written, it was normal for the children to grow up, and as they grow up, to start doing the work. You know, farming, they would help them farming. It's still like that in many parts of the world. Now, we've lost that in this country a bit. I keep wanting to send the kids up the chimneys, but will they go? <laughs> so it has, it has changed a bit, hasn't it? You know. But when this was written, the idea of maturing and growing up as children in the family was that you took on more and more responsibility within that family to do what your parents were doing. So I say it's like that around the world in many places. And it's the same picture that God gives us. 
But in a sense, as we grow as children, he wants us to take on more and more responsibility. And I'm reminded in, in preparing you know, this of 1 John, and where John speaks as, says, children, this is 1 John 2.13, I know we've touched on it in the past. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of my name, and because you have known the Father. Okay? But then he goes on, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We're moving from a state of simply loving the Father, which is fantastic, believe me, but actually to a state of beginning to use the word of God in a battle situation in which we overcome the evil one. Okay? And then he moves on and says, Fathers, I write to you because you have known him who is from the beginning. In other words, as we move on to maturity in Christ, what changes? Yes, we continue knowing him as our loving Father, we continue to fight in the power of the word, but we come into a greater and greater, more intimate relationship that we might know him who is from the beginning. You know, imagine the privilege of, of you know, God said, Abraham, Abraham, my friend, he spoke of Abraham, his friend. I mean, can you imagine the greatest honour that would be? You know, Simon, God says, Simon, my friend. Yeah. Imagine my friend. All of us, my friend. So as fathers, as, 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 as maturing Christ, we're called to that, that we might come into that friendship of God. And this is an example, a simple example of our faith, of progression and maturity. And this is normal. And as I say, many of those changes come at times of crisis. Where we have to dig deep into God. And it's normal. There's nothing wrong. It's normal. Okay? In a sense, it's very similar as a church goes on and matures. Alright? That in a sense that... As a church, we have a choice, don't we? We have a choice. Every church has a choice. We've all been in many different churches and enjoyed them all immensely. Do we stay put as we are? Or do we change? Are we a structure? Or are we an organism? Are we a... What do they call them? Those, those things that you see in um, clothes shops, dressed, what are they called? Mannequins, yes. Are we a mannequin? Or are we a living body? Interesting concept, isn't it? Because mannequins, they always are very smart. They're always dressed, dressed superbly. You know, you can tell most of my clothes come from the highest quality. But they never change. They never do anything. They show. That's fine. That's a good thing to be, isn't it? People will look at you as a church and say, wow, fantastic. I wish we were like that. We wish we always looked smart. Or, are we called as a fellowship, as a family, to grow, grow in our relationships, to grow from maturity to maturity? I think the latter. Myself. And what brings about that growth? Change. Crisis. Opportunities to test God and to trust Him. And because change is here to stay, and because we are an organic body of His body, 
And because we want, I believe, from knowing you all, not as well as I will do, I want much more, but everyone here is responding as, as, as we can to the flow of the Spirit in different ways. Let us not be surprised if from time to time our stability is shaken. This is normal. This brings about growth. This brings about opportunity to grow. And it's how we respond to that growth will dictate how much we grow through it. If we embrace the flow of the Spirit, if we embrace what God saved through His Word, if we embrace and take hold of change, however painful it is, and it is painful, let's not, let's not pretend it's not, change is painful. But if we will go through that change with Him, and hear what He's saying, listen to Him, we will grow through it. And that change, that crisis, will become a springboard to what God wants to do. And what does he want to do? He wants to grow us into maturity, not just as individuals, but as a fellowship of, his, of believers. He wants us to have an impact out there. He wants the lost to be saved. He wants the hurt to be healed, to be comforted. He wants the sick to be healed. And in spite of everything else, he has found here a people who love him, who have gone through difficult changes in the past, as I know, and who are still saying, yes, Lord, it's painful. We don't want to go through it again, because it was pretty painful last time, and uncertain. But I believe he sees here a group of his children who say, yes, Lord, in spite of all that, you know, we want to hang on here. We want to continue to grow. We want to continue to walk with you. We want to continue to see God's will done in Persia and the Vale, in our communities. Because that's our hearts, isn't it? That is what we want. That's why we're here. I mean, we're not here, are we, just because we have a nice Sunday morning service? So we do. We're not here, are we, just because, you know, you're all fantastic group of people. It's true, but that's not wholly the reason why we're here. There's more than that, isn't there? Because there's that longing in our hearts to present Christ out there to the world, to the young people out there on the streets. You know, I, I remember a time when the police, in five bands, got onto the Abbey Park, and there was a drugs problem, there was a drinks problem, they rounded up some kids. Wouldn't it have been better, this was years ago now, but wouldn't it have been better if somehow a local fellowship at that time had managed to reach those kids? So they didn't have a choice of drugs or no drugs, they had a choice of drugs or Jesus. And it's for those of us living in the different communities that have that opportunity. And that's just part, a small, small part of what I'm sure God wants to do. Outreach into the town. A place where people can come and feel God's love and be changed and grow and find their inheritance in Christ. That's what about. That's what his heart is and has always been his heart. And at the moment, we are going through a time of change. You know, we had some, we even had some inkling of what, obviously, Mark had gone to preach with you. It was still a shock last Sunday when he had made his final decision. A shock. And that was for some of us who knew it might be coming. And God's called him to move on, and that's, that's fantastic. But we were, we're going to miss him. There's no question about that. He's a great guy. Great guy, lost the Lord. And that gives us all a question, doesn't it? 
A, how can we support him through this time? How can we pray for him through this time? But also, how can we say, well, Lord, what are you doing here? I, I suspect God knew it was going to happen before we did. No, he might have heard on Sunday. I'm not sure about that. Which means that God's in it. Somehow. Yeah? God's in it. And therefore, God has an answer. And he's waiting for us to say, well, Lord, okay, for us, we're still here, we're not going anywhere. Now what? Now what? And I, I won't insult your intelligence, but you'll all tell me if I ask the question. But that leads us straight to Nehemiah, doesn't it? Are you struggling with that? Yes, okay. <laughs> now, the context of Nehemiah there was of a building situation. And, and they asked him how much was to, you know, should he read? And I thought, well, six chapters would be good, but is there time? <laughs> so we got to two, didn't we? But I'll just praise you, praise you the main points of that. Okay. Uh, Nehemiah, as you know, he was the, uh, what do they call him? The cupbearer. Now, actually, that was a very high-ranking position in the court. And it was a bit like, a, not quite a chancellor, but it, it, really, it really was very intimate and close relationship with the king. You know, you had the privilege of, if someone decided to poison him, they got to you first. That is great, wasn't it? But that was a great position there, you know, which is why when the Lord moved him through prayer and fasting to return to Jerusalem, he ended up as governor of Jerusalem. This is not a small position. You know, so he wasn't a sort of a, a taster, I guess, a, a very pleasant, a, a slight crisp chardonnay, you know, a bit heavy on the palate. You know, he was actually very important. And he became governor of Jerusalem. And what happened? He went there, as, as we read, uh, and he read earlier, and he encouraged people to say, God wants to build the city. He wants to make the city great again. Because at that time, the walls had collapsed, the gates had been burned with fire, and there were no houses there. If we read that later on. Right? People were living in total destitution, and that's not the case here. Maybe you say that, but it's not the point I'm going to be making. But he had a vision, he had a vision, didn't he, of wanting to see Jerusalem to be great again. To be a place where people could return to and a place that could go out and work yeah, as, as the centre of worship of God. Basically, that was their heart. And he called people together and encouraged them. And the first thing that struck me was that the range of people, the range of people who were prepared to, to, to build. You go through the list, there was there were priests, Eliashib the priest. There were men of Jericho who weren't even in Jerusalem, and they came along. There were the sons of Hassanah, who lived nearby. Tekoa was a different place altogether. They came. You had the men of Gibeon, who were under the authority of the governor of trans Euphrates, was a different region altogether, and he said, yes, go and help. Okay? And then you had everyday people, which in those days were everyday, and probably see it slightly differently today. Perfume makers, goldsmiths, merchants, rulers, Levites, priests from the surrounding area, and many others, many others. Everyone, for the vast majority, got stuck in. It didn't depend on position or talent. Every, everyone got stuck in, which is fantastic. And something that was really encouraging, you have that list of, was when we had the mission, mission day, the number of areas that people are involved in. I thought I'd encourage you this morning, because this is, it's fantastic. Let's just go through the list. 
of people in the church, not of people, but of functions that are fulfilled by, by different people. Okay? You've got the Alpha, you've got the Crest, you've got the Little Ones, you've got the Junior Church, Pathfinders, Youth, Little Fishers, Friday Club, Holiday Club, uh, Cleaning, Community Preparation, Fabric, Flowers, Hiring Out the Rooms, Household Leaders, Kitchen, Leading Worship, The Messenger, Music, Notice Boards, The Open Doors Prayer, Pastoral Care Teams, Prayer Group, Preaching, Looking after electrics, projectors, laptops, publicity communications, readers, social events, sound system, trade justice, Thursday club website, women's own. It goes on and on and on. It is fantastic here, and I think, you know, as, as, as a group of believers, you can be really proud that everyone is involved in some way. And if you're not, there may be reasons for that, but the opportunity is there. And so it's just like it was in Nehemiah's time. Everyone was prepared to get stuck in. And that's fantastic. The second thing is, they built his families. Right? Now this is quite an important point. Not just in the sense that our human families, but because we're now in the body of Christ, if we're going to build, it's important that we build as families. Now that's going to be different groups. <coughs> Because you've got to realise the situation, which we'll come to in a second, is that as they built, there was opposition. So if we're saying here that we're not going to let the status quo continue, God is going to move us on, all right, there is going to be opposition. Without any question. The devil is not going to like the fact that the mark is going. The rest of us have said, well, that's sad. But God's still going to do what God's going to do. Because God will bring someone in to join us, to lead us. That's fantastic. So, either we can have a sabbatical for the next year. Great idea. Cornwall, fantastic. Or, we can say, no, we're going to carry on. We're going to carry on building. We're going to carry on in prayer. We're going to carry on what we do. But part of that, the lesson, one lesson from Nehemiah, is that they built as family units. Now, in our context, those family units could be house groups. They could be groups, function-based groups. They could be groups of friends who meet together to share the word and pray. But it's really important, because the problem they had, they were getting isolated on the wall. Okay? And if you're isolated as a Christian, you will get picked off. There's no question about that, you will. You know, other things will crowd in, and commitment will go in, and lose a bit of contact with the church family. And so, what I would encourage us all to do as we think into this time that we're going through as a fellowship is, what is my family group? Where, where, where are those that I, 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 I love? I'm, I'm a good friend with probably. But I can pray with and I can share with. And it, it could be house groups. It could be function groups. Okay? That's very important. It's very important. Because that gives a, a, a not a negative, but a support structure where you know people are praying for you and you're praying for others because we can pray for the church but it's hard to pray personally for everybody, isn't it? Okay? And so I would encourage us all to explore where is my family group? Where are It could be the open doors prayer meeting. It could be many things. Okay? We can't stipulate it and there wouldn't be any intention to do that. But it is very, very important at this time when we're thinking about how we're moving forward to identify the group of brothers and sisters in Christ 
that we meet with, that we relate to, that we can support, who can support us. And then when the opposition comes, we're not left alone. I just raise that as, as, as something for you to think about. Something to think about. Very important. The second thing, expected opposition because they were building, and it came. Alright? Expect attacks of the enemy. They'll come in different ways. Most likely, they will come from your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Not intentionally, but you'd be amazed how the enemy can turn from it. Amazed. Alright? So don't expect it, but if it comes, resist it with the word of God, realise it's not, not bad, it's not intended to hurt. Okay? That's one area it might come from. Cover it in love, cover it in prayer. The other thing that's likely to happen, and some in the sense perhaps have already found this, is that things will happen which waken up hurts from the past and call you to close down. Not because of what's happening now, but it's a memory of what might have happened before. Which is why, again, it's really important to have people close to to share. So, well, look, this, this, is, this is stirred up again. It's, I'm finding it difficult. Can we just pray together about it? And there may be times when people pray at front of the church, and that's fine too. But certainly, if you've got a group of, of people you're close to, you can say, well, I'm just hurting by that. And just come alongside someone and pray with them and receive prayer. It means those things are going to be covered. And I'm sure the enemy will attack other areas as well. Okay? We can use that to good in the sense that that can strengthen us, that can strengthen our fellowship, that can strengthen our sense of commitment to one another, and provides a springboard for growth. Alright? So I, I would really, for that reason as well, as well as the joy of fellowship, which is fantastic, but also in terms of moving forward and growing and maturing and resisting the attacks as and when they come, be part of a group. It doesn't have to be formal and official. You know, it could be within a family, and that's fantastic. But it can be among friends as well. I'd really encourage that. I'd really encourage that. So opposition came. What, what happened then? When the opposition came, they fought and they worked. In other words, we're all involved in different areas of the church. Those things need to carry on. But as they carry on, let's pray into them more and more. Okay? Because I think, in a sense, as we continue to serve, as we continue to do our functions, it's really important that we see not just the function, but the ministry behind it. And we pray into the ministry. For example, an obvious one is obviously leading worship, you know, which many do fantastically. You know, that is to draw us closer to God. And that's spiritual. But how about making coffee? How about welcoming people at the door? Those things, like what people do, that could make or break how responsive someone is to Christ. And that's it. What's fantastic here is that every time we arrive, there's someone at the door saying, nice to see you, lovely smile. That's the word. But the service, actually, what the service there, it's not people at the door. It's saying, Lord, bless this person as they come in, so that they feel your presence, so they feel what you're doing, and so that you can work in their lives. In the sense, the function, the service of welcoming at the door has a ministry of prayer, has a ministry of encouragement. That's really important. I mean, as Tony and others generally put the chairs out, the opportunity there to do that, that's the function. The ministry is praying for the people who are going to be sitting on those chairs. That's the ministry. Fantastic. 
And it, and it goes on with you know, social events. Social events are fantastically organised. That's the service. The ministry is praying that those social events might become places where God can work. So as the people of Nehemiah, we work and we pray. We work and we pray. We work and we pray. So we're growing and moving on just from function, which I, which I believe many people are doing fantastically, and beginning to feed into that process how we can use that function and service to draw more people to Christ, to strengthen the body, and to give glory to Him. And see every job you do, cleaning the kitchen, cleaning the building, doing the flowers, Say, well, Lord, what is the ministry within this? Because I'm praying to it. Praying to it. Because that will strengthen what we're doing. You know, that will strengthen the walls. That will put the gates up. And the other thing I would encourage, and the deacons would encourage, is if, if you're involved in groups doing things, I think I'd just ask a question. How often do we, as we organise different groups, pray with the other people in the same function? It's a challenge, isn't it? You know, if we're organising events, or if we're welcoming people, or if we're people, whatever it is, there are groups of people who function together. Imagine how that would be strengthened if just for a short time every week, or every now and again, perhaps coming a little early, whatever it is, just for a few minutes, you got together as a group and said, come on, let's, let's pray together. You know, I'm not picking on the church welcomers, but it's an easy example, they do a fantastic job. They really do. But imagine coming five minutes earlier, and you, uh, you may already do that. But imagine coming five minutes earlier, saying, well, let's, let's just pray to the Lord, just pray that the people come through here, that you really bless them, and that they really be touched by your Holy Spirit and by your will today. People who make the coffee. They won't be careful I say this, because you don't want to pray for people, Lord, we just pray for people who don't be drinking this coffee, they come up quite the same right way, does it? <laughs> But what is coffee? Coffee is an opportunity for fellowship, isn't it? So the people who make the coffee, fantastic job, beautifully done, get together before the service and say, well, we just pray that the people, as they enjoy fellowship, you might minister to maybe newcomers. And something which is fantastic about this church is that newcomers come and they feel welcome. They just sense a real sense of love and, and, and fellowship here. Well, let's build on that. So people, well, I'm just making a cup of coffee. No one just makes cups of coffee. It's a fantastic service. The ministry within that is praying for people, praying for the context, that as people drink coffee after, there might be opportunity for ministry, there might be opportunity for prayer, there might be sharing of issues. But the Lord will really use that time. So there are no menial tasks in the church. There are none. Every task is an opportunity for service and for ministry. It's a fantastic opportunity. So round the wall, you get a picture of different groups, different families. Trial in one hand, sword in the other, praying. Fantastic opportunity. And it's one we can easily move forward on if we will, if we wish to. Obviously in house groups, prayer already goes on and, and I would encourage more and more prayer, as well as the prayer groups itself. And so, in, in a sense, where are we? Yes. We're moving on. We can consolidate what God is doing. Alright? And from time to time, in terms of the prayer context, there will be times 
as here, when a big attack came in, they said, we're split out on the walls. And Nehemiah said, when the trumpet blows, gather here, gather together. Alright? And there will be times, without doubt, be it by praying for, for Mark's successor or other events in the church, where the trumpet will blow. And where we will all, as a church, be invited to gather together and pray. And it may not coincide with the AGM. Okay? It may not be convenient. But it's a challenge, isn't it? Because if we take God seriously at his word, the enemy is going to take us seriously as well. And we're going to have to gather together for specific events and seek God's face. Humble ourselves and pray. Because if we will do that, God promises he will heal this land. He will make our outreach effective. Now I leave that thought with you. It will happen at some point. And I, I, I would encourage us all to say, okay, I'll make a little promise to myself. When it happens, I'm going to be there. And so what we find gradually from the lessons of Nehemiah is that as family and friendship groups, as house groups, as function groups, they were working and they were praying. They were working and they were praying. And I'd encourage each one of us, as we work, pray. Pray for one another. Pray for God's ministry. Pray for his presence. Pray that as a church, pray for the deacons, that they need prayer. That when the wind blows, when the spirit moves, we all of us sway and follow and are sensitive. So important. So important. Obviously pray to get the right person. But it would be someone who is called to consolidate what God is already doing and build on that. We can pray for them now. God knows who they are. He knows who they're going to be. We can pray for them now. Pray for Mark. But he'll settle into his new context well and easily. He speaks very highly of him. It's fantastic. And so I think the challenge of today, where we're at, is that God isn't going to stop because he's changing things in the church. But I think he wants us to understand that these things come, that we might grow, that we might mature, that we might understand what he's doing and that we might have that opportunity to respond to him and walk with him and follow him. I would encourage us all to do that. We have a great, great God. We have a great opportunity here. You know, there are needy out there. There are needy in the church. God wants to move and bless. And I, for one, want to be part of that. The deacons want to be part of that. I'm sure all here want to be part of that. You know, we're called here for such a time as this. You know, I'm sure we won't be found wanting. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you most of all that you're our Father and that we can trust you absolutely. And as we grow up in our own families, sometimes when we're kids, we don't understand what the parents are doing or why they've done it. And it's the same with us as your children. We don't always understand 
why you've done what you've done, when you've done it. And that's fine. That's fine. Because, Father, we trust you. Father, it's our prayer as we stand here together as your people. And stand up to those of us who are away this weekend. Father, it's our prayer that, that as, as we go through this time, Lord, we, we see you consolidate what you've already started. And that, Lord, you, you turn our hearts to you in a way that builds on what you're doing and that helps us to move forward in, in love together. Lord, we share the pain. There is a pain of Mark going. We share that together, Father. We don't stand alone in that. We share that together. We can be honest about it. It hurts. But, Father, we can also, also stand together as family and as subgroups within that. Stand together and pray together and, and do our work and our ministry and our service to see your kingdom established here. Your promise is you will not leave us comfortless. You will come to us. And you will. And you do. So just as we have a, just a few moments of quiet, I'd, I'd like each one of us, just in the quietness of our hearts, just to spend a few moments with God and just talk to him about how you feel about this. Be honest. How do you feel about Mark going? It hurts. That's it. It hurts. It's really just to give ourselves afresh to him as our Lord, as our Saviour, as our Father, as our King, as our God. That he may renew us through this process. And that we ourselves, in our small part in our groups, would stand together. And that we as a company of believers would stand together and support one another, strengthen one another, and encourage one another. Really to take hold of what God is doing and to move forward. Let's just have those those moments of quiet. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip us with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.